a while back I was planning on doing a series of sermons called Small But Big. Small things that are actually pretty big things. And I got sidetracked, did some other preaching and stuff like that. So I want to do one of those sermons today because there's some seemingly small things that are really big, like a comma. Comma is small, but can make a big difference, like this sentence. We're going to learn to cut and paste, kids. Or we're going to learn to cut and paste, kids. Quite a difference. Or how about these two? Let's eat, Grandpa. Or let's eat, Grandpa. So common can save Grandpa's life. Small things that are really big things. And today, a small thing we don't think much about is singing. And to many of us, to sing or not to sing is really not that big a deal. But sing is one of the most oft-repeated commands in the Bible. Some have suggested it is the second most repeated command in the Bible. Psalm 96, sing to the Lord, a new song. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Sing to the Lord, praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Or Psalm 47, sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our king. Sing praises. For God is the king of all the earth. Sing praises with a psalm. There's like five or six commands right there. First Chronicles 16, sing to him, sing praise to him, tell of all his wonderful acts, sing to the Lord all the earth, proclaim his salvation day after day. And then in Second Chronicles, guys, men, here we go, after consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army saying, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. Military men, tough guys, sing. David sang. He was a warrior and a king. He was a man's man. He even wrote songs. After crossing the Red Sea, Moses sang. Paul and Silas sang while sitting in jail. Jesus sang. The disciples sang. So men do sing. Psalm 66, the whole earth sings. The trees sing. Psalm 104, birds sing. In fact, even God sings in Zephaniah 3.17. Let all the people sing. Not just some. Not just those with good voices, not just those who want to, not just the praise team. Let all the people rejoice. The second most oft-repeated command in the Bible. And the longest book in the Bible is a songbook. Ephesians 5, Paul's instructions to the church. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. It's commanded, you and me to the church, to sing. Hebrews 2, he says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters in the assembly. I will sing your praises. James 5, Casey preached on this last week. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. I appreciated Casey last week just admitting that singing is probably not uh, his number one love or his number one strength. And uh, he's probably like some of you are not particularly moved by singing, but even he did admit it had an impact on his life. So today, we have a culture where singing is a lost art, even embarrassing at times, and even snickered at. Some of you are old enough to remember the old Andrew Griffith shows, or maybe you've seen reruns. They gather around the piano with Clara playing, or the guitar with Andy playing, and they sang in the home. Looks silly today. Even Archie and Edith Bunker sang around the table. Doo, 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 doo. Those were the days. That's the only verse, words I can remember that. Ellen and I were given some tickets last year to go to the Lincoln Community Concert, and one performer on one night said that John Philip Sousa predicted the death of amateur musicianship. Because of the invention of the phonograph, the player piano, automated music, he said, that's going to do away with amateur musicians. And that was 100 years ago when the piano was the entertainment center of the home. So 100 years ago, 9 out of 10 people were amateur musicians. 
amazing. They played the piano or some instrument or sang. Some form of musicianship today, it's one out of ten. John Philip Sousa was a prophet, the death of the amateur musician. Who sings the national anthem at the ball game? Professionals. We used to all sing it, and it was expected everybody would sing and join in. So today, I know I have a difficult task, and you probably not heard too many sermons on this thing, but I need to convince everyone to sing. It is commanded, so it's not an option as far as God's concerned, and whenever God commanded something, it's always because it's important, and it's because we need it. For instance, God commands us to love. Well, that's important, and it's needed. He commands us to live by faith. He commands us to rejoice. He commands us to honor others. Why does he command those things? First of all, it's the right thing to do, and second of all, it's good for us. Singing's also a privilege. By God's grace, we're allowed to come into his presence and sing in response to him. So it's commanded, it's needed, it is a privilege, and, and, and I think if we just understood how powerful it would be in the life of the church, I think everyone would sing. So, on your outline, number one, singing is a commanded act of worship, the second most commanded act in the Bible. When you get in the car after Sunday morning, and if you talk about the service at all, and it comes to the music, what usually would be the topics of conversation? Or if we had a congregational discussion right now this morning about the worship music, what would we talk about? Volume, too loud or too soft. Speed, too fast or too slow. Instrumentation. What the praise team was wearing, you see the holes in those jeans? Skirt too short? Or we talk about mistakes. Boy, that drummer was really bad today. Sorry, Barry. Those would probably be the topics. And usually the most important question about the music is not asked. At least a very important question, usually not high on our radar. The most important question could be, how did the congregation sing today? Did the congregation worship with their voices and song? It's not about the volume or the tempo or the instruments or even about the clothes we wear. I mean, those other questions may be important because they can help the congregation worship and sing, but the main issue is, are we worshiping and singing? Now, let me say here, part of that responsibility is on the leadership. If all we select are songs that no one knows or songs that are hard to sing, or out of our range, or too high or too low, or poorly led, can't blame all that on the congregation. There is a responsibility on we who are up front. So it's both leadership and congregation in order to meet this goal, which is to have the congregation sing. Singing is commanded, and I found that whenever God commands something, he has a good reason for it. God doesn't want you to sing only because it's commanded. He wants you to sing because it's important. If you sing only because God makes you, I mean, it's kind of like doing anything else. You know, it's kind of like giving and serving. Okay, I'll do it because God told me to, but I don't like it. Or I'll do it because the preacher told us we need to do this. If you sing grudgingly, it does no good. We are commanded to sing because God deserves it. And it's good for us. And if we fully get what God has done and who he is, stop and think what he has done and who he is. We have to worship. How great thou art. How can I not sing that? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. How can I not praise him with my voice? All blessings flow through him. If we really understood who he is and what he's done, I, I think we would sing. So right now I'm going to ask you to sing. We are going to sing a song that I think most of you know, the doxology. Uh, we sang it several weeks ago, and you really sounded good. But I would like to ask everyone to sing.
If you cannot carry a tune, I'll address you a little bit later and talk to you. If you don't know this song, just try, you know, mouth the words or, you know, I would like everyone to try and I'm going to fulfill a fantasy of mine, which is to be a choir director. I think uh, when we get to heaven, God's going to let me direct one of the choirs, as long as it's not a southern gospel choir. But anyway, no, I'm just kidding. Okay, you ready? I don't even know. Hmm. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him, all God Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. You're not bad, okay? It is an act of worship. It is commanded. Here's another thing. Creation sings. Did you know that? Research in the field of bioacoustics has revealed that every day we are surrounded by millions of ultrasonic songs. For example, the electron shell of the carbon atom produces the same harmonic scale as the Gregorian chant. The carbon atom sings. We know that whales sing. Whale music and singing can travel thousands of miles underwater. The meadowlark has a range of 300 notes. Most of us, maybe 24. Supersensitive sound instruments have discovered even earthworms make faint staccato sounds. Arnold Summerfield, a German physicist and pianist, observed that a single hydrogen atom which emits 100 frequency is more musical than a grand piano which emits 88 frequencies. Music is in the very fabric of creation, down to the atoms. In, it's full of music. Science writer Lewis Thomas summed it up this way. He said, if we had better hearing and could discern the singing of seabirds, the rhythmic drumming of schools of mollusks, or even the distant harmonics of flies hanging over the meadows and the sun, the combined sound might lift us off our feet. Hmm. Is this what the psalmist says when he says, all the earth bows down to you? They sing praise to you. They sing praises to your name. All the earth, the earthworms, the whales, the meadowlarks, the flies, the molecules, and the atoms. Maybe in the next life, our hearing will be so good, we could actually listen to all this music of creation, and it would lift us off our feet. First Chronicles 16 says, Let the trees of the forest sing. Let them sing for joy before the Lord. Psalm 65, the grasslands of the wilderness overflow. The hills are clothed with gladness. The meadows are covered with flocks and the valleys are mantled with grain. They shout for joy and they sing. Literally, they do. Why? We can only conjecture, but number one, I think they sing because they can't help it. They were created to sing. God made them that way. And number two, when you know who this creator is, you can't help it. And I think the same should be for us humans. We were created to sing, and when we understand who this creator is, you can't help it. The psalmist bursts forth with praise. I will sing to the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to God as long as I live. You who have children, you know this. Kids naturally respond and like music. Where'd they get that? Did you teach them? You didn't teach them. It's just part of their DNA. They, they were created that way. And you... We're all created the same way. You were created to sing, just as that two-year-old. 
And at one time, you sang and danced like a two-year-old. I want you to watch this. This is a little fun. Okay, Kelly, we, we can stop it. That, that's enough. You get the idea. You can get on YouTube and all that. So, man, you were that child at one time. That was you. You responded to music, and God built music and song into you because you're part of his creation. Here's another thing that goes along with that. Singing reaches the whole person. Singing and music affects you emotionally, spiritually, attitudinally, relationally, and even physically. And when you're singing to God... It's more than just your voice. There, there's a whole part of your being, your attitude, and your, your DNA. Your, your, your mind is awake, and if the music's kind of you know, lively, you're tapping your toe, your heart is moved by the truth of who God is. Music's very emotional. It can make you happy. It can make you sad. It can scare you. That's why you see so many emotions in psalms. There's a song for every emotion. Rick Warren said a psalm can often touch people in a way that a sermon cannot. Music can bypass intellectual barriers and take the message straight to the heart. Music can change your mood. Music actually can predict who you are. If I know your top 10 favorite songs, it would provide a fairly predictable, uh, reliable predictor as to who you are, your personality, your values, and your priorities. Tell me your favorite music, and I'll tell you who you are. They even done, done studies, you know, blues fans have a certain... Uh, mentality about them country fans have a certain mentality rock heavy metal fans have a certain i mean you can predict people by the music they love so music is intertwined with who we are what's the music of your soul what's the music you're putting into your children's soul i found this quote can't remember where i got it so you have to forgive me on this but i love it it's so true i think that all music not just christian music but all music is worship music because every song is amplifying the value of something. Your music, whatever it is, is worshiping something. Any song is amplifying the value of something. It might be love, it might be country, it might be a man or a woman or humor or pleasure. It could be God, it could be hate. Tell me your music and I'll tell a lot about you. Now many of the psalms not only tell us to sing, they tell us how to sing. They say to sing with all your might and sing joyfully. And it would make sense that if you are excited about something and grateful for something, it's hard. In fact, I think it's impossible to sing with tentative, withdrawn, you know, tepidation or whatever, if that's a word. I mean, deeply felt thankfulness produces a sound from our voices that should be robust and enthusiastic. So if your motivation is to sing, they have to, or the preacher says we have to, it'll never be what the Psalms talks about. Singing gives voice to a heart that deeply knows the gospel of grace and a whole person is responding to it. Here's another reason we need to sing. As a church, congregational singing is an act of unity. We sing together. 
It's just great to hear all your voices together in that doxology. United in our praise to him. You know, we may disagree on some theological things, you know, and all that, but together when we're singing, we are united. And that is our goal, that everyone would sing. And if everyone sings, it'll help others who are kind of inhibited. I mean, people won't be as inhibited as sing. If you go to a church and very few are singing and no one around you is singing, you feel weird trying to sing, don't you? If everyone sang, it would encourage everyone to sing and have this unity of voice. I got to thinking about this, though, that one of the odd, odd ones about this point is nothing has probably caused more disunity in the church over the past few decades than this. At two churches I served, we did some changes in the music, and there was a struggle both times. Some of you might remember when rock music was denounced as a tool of the devil, and to put a guitar on the stage or drums was friendship with Satan, and demonic messages were hidden in rock music, and it was war. And thankfully, that is not the case here. But we are still somewhat divided. We have first service music, second service music, and that's not all bad. But we've talked about this. Elders and staff talked about going a little bit more blended. Let's do a hymn, second service. Let's do a contemporary song, first first service. And, uh, you know, first service needs to hear some contemporary. Psalm says, sing a new song. And second service, you need the foundation of hymns. They're not going away. And we're doing a little bit of that, but sometimes probably not enough. And part of the reason we don't do it more, frankly, it's hard to combine the two. It takes two different skill sets to do a hymn versus more contemporary. Songs create unity in another way. Different faith groups often sing the same songs. Baptists, Pentecostal, Lutherans, Methodists, Catholics. We, we sing the same stuff over at Vanderleith. Every Tuesday, we sing hymns, and there's probably 10 different denominations there, and they're united in song. They all know them. Music can also unite the various generations as we sing each other's music, and it's another reason to have some overlap between the two services. The next one, however, is a biggie for some of you. If you cannot sing well, your singing can be a witness. Singing is easier for some than others. I get that. But that's also true of other areas of our faith. I'm not very good at some things in the faith, but I'll still try to do them because it needs to be done. Maybe you're like Joe's wife who liked to sing, and so she decided to join the church choir. And from time to time, she would practice while she was in the kitchen preparing dinner. And whenever she would start in on a song, Joe would immediately go outside. His wife was a little hurt by that and said, Joe, don't you like my singing? And Joe said, honey, I love your singing, but I just want to make sure the neighbors know I'm not beating you. (laughs) Maybe that's you. But it's not the quality, it's the motivation, it's the heart, it's the passion. Michael Wakeman, man, you ever sit next to him or sit behind him? He sang. Um, He sang with energy, he raised his hands. And it was a witness. I'm not sure if he could sing. In fact, this last week I just asked some people who knew him, could Micah sing? They said, no, he could not sing. But it was real. I knew another elder in a past church. He couldn't carry tune at all, but sang with gusto. Most parents sing to their kids. Does it have to be good? No. Your children will be shaped by your singing no matter what the quality. And think about this. Maybe God designed you not to carry a tune so that you could be a witness. It is harder to sing if you're not gifted. I get that. But like it's hard to have faith when bad things happen, it is an opportunity to show faith and be a witness. I love it when people who can't sing well sing. Now, I don't want to sit next to them, but I love it when they sing. I'm just kidding on that, okay? 
1 Corinthians, Paul says, people will come to your worship service and say, God is really among you. Now, he's assuming that we're really worshiping. And singing can be evangelistic. When people walk into our church and everyone is singing with energy and people are you know, really getting into it and worshiping God, they'll say, man, something's going on here. In fact, I, I knew a young man who went to a church and it was a very alive church, very uh, active in their worship and their singing. Man, that was weird, but I'm going back. Something's going on there. God is among you. If you go to a church and half the people are standing mum during a song service, like zombies, it happens. Some of you are that zombie. What's that say? What do people say? Have people left the church that, boy, there's nothing there. Do they, do they believe this? Do they get it? See, the sight and sound of a congregation singing heartfelt praise to God together is a radical witness in a culture that rejects God. We're singing to God. That's countercultural. Our culture embraces individualism. We're singing together. That's countercultural. Our culture doesn't sing. We are going to sing. Our songs are a public countercultural manifesto of what we believe and who we are. It's powerful. It can be powerful. Number six, singing makes the Bible a part of our lives. It's great for memorizing. You make the word a part of your heart and mind and soul. Uh, I had one parent send, uh, Ellen, I had a parent send us a video after vacation Bible school. Ellen and I were working with the three-year-olds, and uh, we did some music that week, and this little three-year-old was singing a song just, just out of the blue because it had been put into his heart and soul. So get music into those kids. Get the right kind of music in them. Colossians 3 says we're teaching and admonishing each other in music. Ephesians says we're addressing one another when we sing. Uh, Singing is education. We're teaching each other what God has said and what he's like and what he's done. So singing puts the word of God and a love for God into our hearts and minds. It is so powerful. God knows this. God's a lot smarter than we are, obviously. And God knows if he gets the right music in us, we'll have the right mindset. That's why it's commanded so often. I read about a supermarket. Some days they played French music, and then another day they played German music. And they measured the type of wine that people bought. When French music played, they bought French wine. German music, German wine. It's powerful. We also know that music makes kids smarter. There's now specialization in music therapy. Music is even used by the CIA to torture people. It is so powerful. Top CIA songs to torture prisoners, Barney and Friends theme song, (laughs) over and over and over. You parents have been tortured, I know. (laughs) Meow Mix Jingle, over and over. Sesame Street, over and over. And some have said that Disney has a torture song too for their customers. You know what it is? It's a small world. You go through that, it's torture by the end of it. It's powerful. You can do so many things in a powerful way. Use it for your good. So that is number seven. Singing is good for family. Sing with your kids. Sing to your kids. I know this sounds weird, and if you have teenagers, they may not cooperate, not used to, of course, but young kids will. And it is not the quality of your singing that will make the difference. Just do it. When we travel with our grandkids, we keep them off the iPad. Okay? And we listen to a lot of age-appropriate Christian music, you know, Veggie Tales and stuff like that, and they sing. We don't have to tell them to sing. We don't have to convince them. They just sing. It's, it's just natural. They just do it. 
I don't even think they sing at home, but they sing with a CD in the car. Just put it on. It's one of the best ways to get God into them, get God music into them. Everyone sings at some time. Every mother sings to their baby. When you were a child, you sang. Every one of us has sung. It is in there, and Satan will do all he can to get it out of you or to put the wrong kind of music into you because he knows how powerful it is. Someone once said, if you want to control a nation, control the music. And if you want to control and influence your kids or have influence on them, pick your music wisely. And then the last thing, singing is an eternal activity. It does not end when we die. It's just getting started. And for those of you who find it hard to sing, you will not be inhibited in the next life. You will not be able to stop yourself, and you'll experience the joy. And every page of the book of Revelation, if you read through that, they are singing. So that's my question for you today. Will you sing? (laughs) Somebody's heartbeat. Will you sing? Will you obey the command from God, a command that he gives because we need it? It's good for us. Will you sing because of who he is and what he has done for you? Every other part of creation is singing. Will you join them? You were created for this. I'm going to pray. And then we're going to sing. And I ask for this song to be sung. How great is our God. Sing with me. How great is this God. Father, thank you for this gift. Thank you for building this into us, into all creation. And I look forward to that day when we'll be able to hear all this music that you've put into this creation. Thank you for this privilege of singing. And I pray that our songs will be to your ear a pleasant sound. That our songs will be an act of worship, an act of submission and love to you. That these songs to you will inspire us, educate us, fill us and lift us up. It's in Jesus we pray and sing. Amen.